0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. So over the past few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke In particular, um, in what we've been calling Jesus's kingdom manifesto, this section in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus states um, and um, shares what the kingdom which has come to earth in him, which is at hand in him, what this kingdom is going to look like. And I want to spend a few minutes today really recapping where we've been over the last four weeks. As we continue um, in the Gospel of Luke, but move out of this section, it feels good to just pause and take stock of what we've been learning, particularly how what we've been learning in the past four weeks is really, or all all really manifestations of this final line to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And of course, one of the things we've been wanting to say is that this manifesto finds its fulfillment before anything else in the person of Jesus. Here at the beginning of his ministry, not at the end, before he's done the majority of his miracles, before he's called his disciples, before he's really stepped in to his public ministry. Jesus reads this scripture and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's just stop there for a second. I mean, can you imagine this happening in the political world? A a politician or a political leader presenting their manifesto at a party conference before sitting down and saying to everyone, oh, by the way, every policy, every promise, every program, that was all fulfilled whilst I was saying it. You know, we're big gobsmacked and not in a good way. But because it'd be a blatant lie, it'd be crazy, absurd, we'd be outraged, we'd be calling for this charlatan's resignation the very next day. And yet when Jesus says this, the eyes of the whole synagogue are on him. People were speaking well of him and they were amazed. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Why? (laughs) Why? Well, because unlike a politician or even a prophet who points to the fulfillment of something, Jesus himself, this man, this person in front of them was the fulfillment of these promises. He was the Messiah filled with the Spirit, anointed by God. That Jesus, first and foremost, is good news to the poor. That it's, that it's uh, when, we, when we see Jesus for who, is, who he is that our eyes are open. It's when we follow Jesus that our lives are shaken and anything that isn't, of, um, uh, that, that isn't real life and isn't true and good and of his kingdom is revealed and can be removed. It is in Jesus that we find freedom from shame and from guilt, ultimately freedom from sin. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment, not just of these words from the book of Isaiah, but he is the fulfillment of every promise God has made. I'll say that again. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise God has made. So right here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is able to say these words because this scripture has been fulfilled in him, that the kingdom has arrived and it's now going to be made manifest through his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection and his church. And so just as these promises, just as the, the promises of God um. Uh, Just as the promises of God don't point towards something abstract or ethereal or out there, but to the person of Jesus. So this kingdom manifesto isn't to be read as some metaphorical spiritual reality, nor as something that's been passed through the hands of political advisors, but as something that has come from the heart of God, directly from his heart that this is what God wants to do through his church in our world. As the theologian, the German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann puts it, God does not save his creation for heaven. He renews the earth. And we've been needing to recognize this in a new way, haven't we? The death of George Floyd has reawakened us to God's heart for justice, particularly for racial justice. That the kingdom of God is born out in this manifesto is a kingdom where justice rolls like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. That to follow Jesus, to really follow him is to seek true justice in every sphere of society. And because this is a kingdom issue, like every issue of the kingdom, it can't slip from our hearts when it slips from the new cycle. Because when we pursue Jesus, when we we seek the face of God, we see justice in his eyes. God does not save his creation for heaven. He renews the earth. We looked at this line, the recovery of sight for the blind. And we've been seeing God open our eyes in new ways. You know, Mark spoke beautifully about this a couple of weeks ago and looked at how God can use seasons, moments of shaking to open our eyes up to the things in our lives that aren't of him, the things that get in the way of our relationship with him. You know, we I know, I know I've know i been feeling this personally in this period of lockdown. So many of the issues and attitudes that aren't good for me that honestly have, have sat beneath the surface in the busyness and Distraction of ordinary life have come to the surface in this moment, have been revealed as the idols that they are, idols to be smashed. We've seen this as a church as well. God opening our eyes to refocus us on, 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 on what we're about, which is what we've always been about, the presence of God. To refocus us on knowing him, on loving him, which is why we've made uh, prayer and worship central in this time. You know, it's why we've been praying together on uh, every week on Wednesday evenings, interceding for our city. It's why we've turned our um, our website homepage, don't know if you noticed, into a virtual prayer room. Yes, a virtual prayer room. It's why we've been doing the prayer course in hubs, wanting to put our eggs in the only basket that matters, which is devotion to him. And finally, we've been seeing the shaking bear itself out in society. You know, the, 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 the shaking that honestly has reminded us that we're finite, that we don't have as much control over our lives as we would like to think. You know, and, and the fruit of this has been an increase in the amount of people praying nationally, an increase in the amount of people wanting to explore who Jesus is for the first time. We've seen the church respond to this, and online alpha, you know, popping up all around the world, not least at Trinity Church Nottingham, where people who maybe wouldn't ordinarily come to an alpha course, are able to find out who Jesus is, many for the first time. God doesn't save his creation for heaven. He renews the earth. You know, we looked at what it means to proclaim good news to the poor. That Jesus is the answer to our spiritual poverty as human beings. But to follow him is also to position our lives in the way that he did towards the outcast, towards the marginalized, towards those who are overlooked and left out. To welcome others just as we have been welcomed, to embrace others just as we have uh, have been embraced ourselves. You know, we, we said a couple of weeks ago, if the gospel isn't good news to the poor, it is not the gospel. And so partly we've been seeing this worked out in our Love Your Neighbour campaign. As a community, we have stepped into this together, They're longing to make God's kingdom visible in this way. Where we've been able to um, make our words flesh in this sense, to give out food parcels to those in need, kids activity packs, to um, offer phone calls and support. God doesn't save his creation for heaven. He renews The earth. Finally, last week, we looked at what it means for Jesus to announce freedom for the captives that life in Jesus is a life of freedom, freedom from guilt and shame and and, and fear, um, freedom from sin through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that freedom, you know, uh, um, contrary to popular belief, doesn't come from us trying harder from promoting ourselves to just trying to build our own identity up, but it actually comes from surrendering our lives to a loving Father. And if you're watching for the first time today, this freedom is a Available for you, Jesus loves you. He is calling you by name, longing to draw you into this life of freedom and wholeness in Him. You just have to say yes. You just have to say yes. We've been seeing this as a community as well. We've in the way they've been contending for one another, contending for freedom uh, for each other in prayer. I'm sure in conversations, even as we felt the um, discomfort of not being able to be with each other in the same way. Can you say it with me yet? God doesn't save his creation for heaven. He renews the earth. And so we come to this final line of Jesus's manifesto. We read this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and there's so much context to give here I can only go into a small amount of it but if you want to dig a little bit deeper into what this means particularly how this year of the Lord's favor relates to the Israelite year of Jubilee Johnny did a great sermon a few weeks ago um, called and justice matters you go listen to that and he talks about Leviticus 25 and where this is from but for now, what's worth saying is that this year of Jubilee um, that is being drawn on this passage wasn't a, an, an abstract spiritual thing. It was a hope of a real day that happened once every 50 years where people were released from their debts. A day where slaves were freed, where um, the oppressed were set at liberty, where people could return to their own home, claim their own inheritance. It was a picture of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine living under the crushing weight of a debt that you'll never be able to repay? Despairing about your future, devoid of hope for your freedom, let alone an inheritance. And yet in this moment, in this year of jubilee, your debt is cancelled. You're able to return home. You're able to step into your inheritance. Can you imagine that feeling? And this is this was a taste. This was a taste of what it looked like for, for God to be with his people. It was a foretaste of what would be um, true of Jesus. That Jesus today is alive. That he's with us. He's present now. In this moment as I'm speaking, by his spirit, And if you're watching today and you're crushed under the weight of of sin, if you're crushed under the weight of doing life your own way, of your own brokenness, Jesus comes into the fray. He, He steps towards you. He crosses over to you to embrace you, to kiss you, to clear your debt, to lift the weight off of you, to bring you forgiveness and wholeness and freedom and life in all of its fullness. If that's you today, bless you. Would you know Jesus? Would you know his love? Would you know the debt that he forgives? And so today, I want to look particularly at this second word in this phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to proclaim. And proclaim means to announce officially or publicly, to indicate clearly. And really what I want to look at for the rest of our time is, what does it mean to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour? What does it mean for us to indicate clearly that Jesus is king and his kingdom is at hand? Well, maybe let's look at what God does. How does God proclaim his favour to you and to me? Well, God doesn't um, ultimately Proclaim his love and his favour upon us by shouting down from heaven, but by sending a person, by, by, by himself coming in flesh in the person of Jesus. You know, another way of saying this is that God doesn't proclaim his favour for us, but by intervention, but by incarnation, not primarily through words, but through a life, the life of Jesus. You know, because of this, words themselves take on a new character in the kingdom. You know, Jesus is, is God's word. It says at the beginning of John's gospel that the word was made flesh and dwell among us, that Jesus is, becomes God's word that our words can become flesh. You know, this isn't just, this is what happens in Jesus, but this is also a model for us to follow as the church, that we are called for our words, for Jesus' words to become flesh in our lives, in our neighborhoods. In other words, you could say that God's primary way of speaking to the world His primary way of interacting in the world is through lives, not just words. Let me say that again. God's primary way of speaking to the world, of proclaiming his favor to the world, is through lives, not words. You know, we can see this when we look at discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we are called first and foremost as disciples to follow Jesus. Not to um, have ideas about him. Or just to think about him or um, or uh, just to study him, even to have the right views about him. But to follow him first and foremost, to move, to embody a movement. Our introduction to discipleship is not a thought, but a step, an embodiment of response. You know, let me put this, let me put this really simply. What does it look like for us to proclaim God's favor in the to the world around us, it looks like us living this out, this kingdom manifesto that we've been looking at for the last four weeks. It looks like us living this out, embodying it in our lives, in the way that we love, the way that we live. You know, and this makes sense, doesn't it? The New Testament, the picture that the New Testament paints of the church is that the church is Jesus's body, not Jesus's ideas, not even Jesus' movement, but his body his flesh and blood you know what would it what would it mean if we lived this out what would it mean if we really believed that we were jesus's body as the church that the the where we are right now that that god wants to make his kingdom visible through us that he wants to make jesus alive to our neighbors to our friends to the people we work with through us through the ordinary, mundane, familiar stuff of our lives, what would it look like? What would it look like for the for the people of God to step into that identity, filled with the Spirit, filled with the authority of God, knowing that God is longing to move through us? Can we not see an axe church again? Is this not is this not part of revival? God awakening us to what He's already done, what He already wants to do through us? Do people experience God's favour through you? Do people experience God's favour through you? That is what God wants for you. God wants people to experience his kingdom, to experience him through the way that you live, through the way that you work. And yet it can be so easy, can't it, to see the church as a container for just Christian perspectives as an institution of religious ideas. You know, we miss out on so much of what God wants to do when we believe this, even at a functional level. You know, we, we we might we might we might be able to say that we know that the church is God's plan A. But when it really comes down to it, we, maybe we believe that well, God does what He wants to do. That's that's how He really wants to work. He can do it Himself because He can, which is true. And He'll get the church involved every once in a while. But He doesn't really do that stuff. He doesn't really want to use the church. No, no, the church is God's plan A. His Jesus is body filled with the spirit filled with his presence called to be his hands and feet on the earth to make the kingdom of God visible to live out this manifesto of blind people getting sight of the good news being preached to the poor of freedom to the captives God wants to proclaim his favor through his church filled with his spirit in step with Jesus through you and me in the lives we live and in the way that we love you know, I've been so challenged by this recently. I was talking to a friend earlier this week um, who, was, who was saying to me that so often when we can gather together, we, it's, it's so easy to sing songs um, in church about an amazing heavenly father and yet not even really know the person next to me that I call family. Family. You know, I felt this in such a particular way. I know I've fallen short in this way so many times. And yet the church is is supposed to be um, full of supernatural love. Like when people walk into the church, when they walk into our community, they should experience love like they've experienced nowhere else in their lives because it is the love of God, present, visible, manifest. You know, Jesus even says this, doesn't he? He says that the world will know you by the quality of your kids' ministry. By, by the quality of your worship band, by the quality of your um, um, uh, of alpha courses. No, no, he doesn't say that. He says the world will know you by the way you love one another. You know, the way that we proclaim the gospel to the world, Jesus says the way that we, that we scream that Jesus is alive to the world is the way that we love one another. That's how Jesus wants to make himself visible. You know, for me, I've been asking myself, does this look like listening more? You know, when we think of the word proclaim, we think about um, shouting something from the rooftops. We think about speech. And yet, as we've already discussed, this looks more like us living it out. Perhaps proclamation in the kingdom of God looks more like listening to others, hearing hearing who people really are, the things that are on their hearts, their dreams, their fears. Really meaning family when we talk about one another. You know, as I was reading Luke 4, um, earlier this week, one of the things that jumped out at me in this passage, honestly, was how ordinary the setting of it is. The setting of Jesus um, uh, preaching this sermon in the synagogue. It just seems so ordinary. You know, and I thought if I was going to make, mo- make a movie of this moment, if I was going to, um, uh, you know, make, it, make a movie this moment where Jesus unravels the scroll and reads from the prophet of Isaiah and says to all gathered that this, that this scripture, this kingdom is, is at hand in me. I am the Messiah. I thought it'd be a bit more epic. You know, I, I, I would probably in the film, I would get Jesus to have taken some of his devout followers on a spiritual retreat, maybe into the mountains or something. And then one morning and um, days into this retreat, Jesus appears at the top of a mountain and he unravels the scroll and the music fades up. You can hear La, da, 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 music fading up in the back and the sun is just beginning to rise. And Jesus reads this scripture from Isaiah. And as he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There's a wide shot of everyone uh, everyone gathered, with their mouths open in astonishment. And then the camera pans back and by, and the sun has broken up over the mountains. The whole scene is filled with light. End scene. Maybe you're, maybe you're glad I don't make movies of the Bible. But you know what I mean? I, I would expect for it to be more epic. And yet what we find is Jesus In the ordinary and the familiar. Jesus, who has come back to his hometown where he's grown up, his familiar surroundings, his ordinary surroundings. Jesus, who goes about in this moment, his ordinary custom of going to the synagogue. When he gets into the synagogue, you know, s- surrounded by the people who are familiar to him, the people that have known him his entire life. You know, some scholars even think that many of these meetings weren't in actual synagogues, but were in people's houses. How much more ordinary can you get than that? And yet it is in this setting. where Jesus reads the words of, the, of Isaiah this kingdom manifesto and says to everyone gathered here right now, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, this isn't a mountaintop manifesto. This is a manifesto. This is a kingdom that is longing to be worked out in the ordinary, everyday stuff of our real lives. That's where Jesus grows his kingdom. You know, he's longing to baptize our ordinary lives, to set them on fire, to take our familiar, our normal, and use it to proclaim his favor. How does Jesus extend his kingdom? By setting individuals of his church one by one on fire in the middle of their context, in the middle of their circumstances, making the kingdom visible through the way that they live. How they live these promises out. Romans 12 um, puts it like this in the message. This is St. Paul speaking. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. God, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Let God take your ordinary everyday life. It doesn't seem big enough, does it? Really, that's, that's kind of silly. You, you, you mean that to proclaim God's kingdom looks like this stuff? These little moments are like, it, am I really making God's kingdom visible by setting a 12 o'clock alarm on my phone to pray the Lord's prayer every day? Yes, yes you are is in these moments where the kingdom of god is coming near where we are proclaiming the year of the lord's favor which by the way in jesus is every year by the way we live our lives by the way we direct our lives towards jesus the midday prayers the pauses to worship the text of encouragement the hub whatsapp group choosing to love those who annoy us and pray for those who have hurt us befriending the person on the outside taking rest preferring others to ourselves being formed by the scriptures more than the news being generous with our time and finances being kind to cashiers refusing to let money reputation celebrity or influence be our goal sharing our story of faith praying for healing the list could go on it's in these moments that we proclaim God's favor it's as we recognize that, that, that God wants to use the raw material of our lives, that we would represent Him in our communities, our neighborhoods, our places of work. That He wants to set us on fire, fill us with His Spirit, that we would be awakened to Him in every moment. It's as we do this that the kingdom of God, that this manifesto becomes a reality. Because it's not one of us doing it. This is the people of God pursuing, pursuing the presence of God embodying the manifesto of the kingdom and as we move on from this section of Luke next week this manifesto isn't just another nice lesson what God has been teaching us in these past weeks needs to become the driving force behind everything that we do his animating power within us And so my question is really simple. Will you offer yourself to him today? Will you give yourself to him? Will you ask him to fill you, that you would live this out in your life? Do people experience God's favour through you? That's God's longing for you, that that when people meet you, they encounter something of him. They experience his favour, they experience life in all of its fullness. You know, maybe you've, you've, you've been in church for ages now and you look at your life and you're like, God can't really use me. Why, how can God use the ordinary stuff of my life? It's so mundane. It's so boring. Surely it's not this. It's all, it is. He wants to use you. He longs to draw close to you to empower you. You know, maybe you're thinking that, you know, when you arrive at a particular position, you know, when I get to here in life, then God will use me. When I marry this person, then God can use me. When I, when I, when I uh, finally do my two-hour daily prayer meeting, then God will use me. But God wants to use you now to take your ordinary, everyday life and set it on fire for his kingdom that the world would know that he is here and his favor is going out to all people at all times. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed to you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.